It's a wonderful privilege to be here with you. I'm so used to meeting on a Sunday evening, and it's just wonderful to be here and experience something different of worship, something different of prayer, a different buzz. And I think for us coming in, it's, you guys are really a wonderful blessing. It, it really is. It means more for us to be here than it will mean, hopefully, a little bit for you, for us being here. So thank you for receiving us so well. You know, just um, this morning, I must say this morning, not this evening, but this morning as, as we speak, as I speak to you, it, it's just so wonderful what Anne said, um, that he says that, that many times you think that as he's the person leading this congregation, that there's so much faith in him, and that it's always easy for him to do that. But actually, even men of faith, even those people who really walk closely with God have difficulties in their lives. And it's easy to put someone on a pedestal and to think that their lives are easy and that they don't have difficulties. But actually, you know, every single one of us walking through this life will have difficulties that we face. It will be different, but all of us have difficulties. And so maybe I, I want to share a little bit of, about myself this morning as we start, because again, it's, it's easy to see me up here. I'm, the, I'm the, the, the attractive guy that was on the video, and now I'm just joking. <laughs> but it's easy to just see to just see a facade in a sense, but not to, to get to know someone and, and, and really get to know what some of the struggles of that person is. And that's the beauty of church where we actually get to know each other, where it's not just a person coming up in a puff of smoke, preaching and then disappearing, but I'm a person standing amongst you, ants, uh, Andre, Ginter, whoever the leaders are here, we are normal people living amongst you, and we've got flaws of our own. So just a little bit about myself, I'm I've been in the Western Cape now, I think, for about 14 or 15 years. So, uh, but originally, I must say this, I don't like saying it because then people, it just they struggle not to judge me. But I come from Boxburg originally. <laughs> but I feel like my quarantine time is almost over. The Boxburg is almost out of me. It's taken 15 years, but I come from there originally. And I actually, you know, I actually come from quite a broken home. My mom and my dad got divorced when I was about one year old. My dad was sort of involved in my life, but I would see him now and then, but not really involved. And for most of my life, um, I thought my mom had a measure of depression, because I realized as a young boy, you, you don't have anything to compare it with, I'm an only child, she raised me, that, that that was normal, but I knew that something was a little off in her. And only years later, after I'd really messed up my relationship with her, we, didn't, we hardly spoke, when we spoke, we would fight. And I started rebelling and, and getting into all kinds of silly things that teenagers should not get into. And I really started messing up my life, actually. I was 17 years old. And um, at that stage of my life, I, only after this, I realized that my mom, for all of my life, has been or was undiagnosed bipolar. And so you can imagine, as, as a child growing up in this house, bipolar is basically episodes of being manic and episodes of being depressed. And you don't know how long they're going to last. And so it was quite an unstable household. There would be amazing times and there would be really tough times and financially difficult times as well because of her spending habits with her bipolar disorder. And so that was quite, quite a difficult thing to traverse as a, as, a young, as a young child. And then when I was 17 years old, I remember distinctly, it's a day I will never forget in my life, that my mom and I got into a big fight it was over something silly. The car's boot did not want to open. And we, we started argue, having an argument about this, and, and it, it turned ugly, and she, I remember she wanted to, to hit me, and I grabbed hands, and I said, you will not do that. I obviously started becoming a little bit bigger, and so it just, things just really escalated at that point, and it was, a, it was one of the low points of my life. And 
remember distinctly my mom getting into the car that morning and picking up the phone and speaking to my aunt, who lived in Krugersdorp, about 45 minutes away, and she said to her, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to live. I think I want to commit suicide. And as a young boy of 17 years old, that struck me really deep, and I, I felt the pain of it really deep. I wasn't serving God in the least sense. I never thought about God. I never thought about Christians. Never thought about church. Those things were not on my mind in the least. I, I was just living my life. And in that moment of pain, um, I remember just starting to sob and telling my mom, but this is, this is not right, and I can't leave you now because if I leave you and you commit suicide, what then? And eventually my mom got in the car. She left. She went to work. And uh, I stayed behind. Family, friends came to pick me up. And, and I'm just going to pause the story a little bit there. I'll speak about this bit, a bit later. But, you know, it's so easy for you to come and you listen to someone and you don't know what their backstory is. In fact, there's more to my story that I'll tell a bit later on as well of, of deep times that I've gone through, really difficult uh, at times of, of discipline and, and times of um, severe loneliness, severe anguish, severe actually at some times to the point of feeling depressed that I've gone through, but I can stand before you and you can think that everything's perfect. And that's actually a danger because there are difficult things in this life. And I say this to the young people a lot, but we cannot be an Instagram generation that puts up a beautiful facade. You only see the good, but if you look behind the good, there's actually turmoil and there's difficulty behind the good. At coffee this week, a girl came to my wife and I, and uh, she sat down with us, and she started telling her story. And on the surface, she's probably one of the most bubbly personalities in our congregation. You would never think that she's gone through difficulty. She sat down with us and said that when she was, I think, about 16 years old, 15 or 16, her mom cheated on her dad, moved out. Eventually, they found out she was cheating on her dad with another woman, moved in with this woman, got married to this woman, and her life fell apart at 15 years old. How does that make sense? How does that make sense? There's difficulty in this world. Those of you who know Mike Fast, he is one of the elders in Josh Chen. We've been praying for him. And about two weeks ago, his life looked perfect in a sense. Like it didn't look like there was anything wrong. He was someone with a powerful ministry. He went into African churches, churches in, um, in the townships. And he would minister powerfully there. Pastors all over the country looked up to this Canadian man, got a bruise on his hip or his leg, went to check it out at the doctor, and immediately they booked him in and they said, you've got leukemia, and we're not sure if you're going to be able to live through this thing. You know, all of us have our difficulties. Every single one of us have our difficulties that we go through. Every single one of you have your difficulties, have had your difficulties, or will have your difficulties. Those are not things that we can escape in this life. In fact, Jesus, when he spoke to us uh, in, in John 16, verse 33, he gives us a promise. And you, know, you know what we love to do as Christians? We like to take the good promises. You know, we stick those on our fridge and we put those on the back of our car, Jeremiah 29. It's a favorite verse. Philippians 4, it's a favorite verse of ours. But this is a promise that we never stick on our fridges. But I feel like if I was ever to get a tattoo, this would probably be the tattoo that I think we need to get. It's a promise of Jesus. So I want you to take the promise of Jesus today. Put it in your heart deep. Remember it. Name it and claim it. It's yours. Jesus says the following. John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. 
That's the promise of Jesus for you. Are you with me? <laughs> it's a promise. Jesus is not caught off God, and we're going to look at why that is. But Jesus, he's not caught off God by the difficulties that go, he, we go through in this life. But prosperity gospel and, and a wrong understanding of God and of Jesus has led us to a place where we think that when you become a Christian, everything is going to be anky-dory. And sir, they just gave your life to Jesus. I'm so sorry to tell you this. <laughs> But when you start following Jesus, man, then the trouble starts. <laughs> We've got a comforter with us, but then the trouble starts. You know, it's, it's not always easy following Jesus. We've got a misunderstanding to think that, that the grass will be greener when we follow him. The sky will be bluer. The birds will chirp louder. But actually, Jesus gave us a promise, and he said, in this world, listen, whether you're a Christian or not, in this world, you will have trouble. We can't escape this world. We're living in it. We're not from it. We're not of this world, but we're in this world. As long as you're in this world, you will have trouble. And it's not a new concept, actually. I think it's one in our modern times that we struggle with more because of false prosperity gospels that have crept into our minds. And I think the generation that we're living in, it's, it's an Instagram, a Facebook, a Twitter generation. We only see the good, but we don't see the bad. But you know, even from the earliest days of Christianity, the apostles, you know, they were the ones that actually, they walked with Jesus, they talked with Jesus, they lived with Him. I'm sure they had a strong faith. And without them doing anything wrong, do you know that almost all of the apostles, besides one that we know historically, was killed for his faith? Now, it's not easy following him. Peter is one of the guys that I really look up to, and Peter had said that when he died, they wanted to put him on a cross just like Jesus. And he said, I'm not worth dying in that way. This is not in the Bible. It's extra biblical resources that we find. He said, please crucify me upside down. And if you look up, um, just if you Google search Peter's death, you'll find images of this man of God that did nothing wrong. He, it was not because of his sin. It was because of his obedience to Jesus. It was, it was because he was a lover of Jesus. Even though he did everything right in the books of God, still... He suffered in this life to the point of laying down his life, being crucified upside down on a cross. It's not new. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 27. It's a longish portion, but you can, you can follow it with me. Have I got the right one? Yes. I'm going to start in, in the second part of that. Paul says, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. And been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. 40 lashes from the Jews, that was the death penalty. This is just get this year. Paul was an example of the faith. And Paul knew the promise of Jesus. In this world you will have suffering. He's felt it firsthand. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day... On the open sea, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in dangers from rivers, in, death from bandit, uh, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. Are you getting the point here? His life was not always easy. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. And have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. 
Oh my hat. <laughs> oh my hat. But then what about us? Is it not true that even if we follow Jesus, that we will face suffering in this life? Even if we do the right thing, we will face suffering in this life. Even if God is on our side, we will still face suffering in this life. And we need to grapple with it theologically because at some point in your life, you are going to meet a crossroad where you have to decide what to do with your suffering. And one of the heroes of, of our faith, I think, is a guy called Job. I think the, the title slide is up here. Job is a man that had everything taken away from him. Everything. If we feel like we've lost something in this life, Job lost children. He lost property. He lost family. He lost land. He lost his income. He lost his health. He lost everything, and still he was able to look at God, and he said, God, though you slay me, though he slays me, yet I will open him. Now, how is it possible for one man to go through severe suffering? How is it possible for a guy like Paul to face everything that we just read of? How is it possible for a guy like Peter to face death on a cross upside down, still look to Jesus and say, and say, God, even though everything gets taken away from me, still I will open you. How is that possible? See, we need to grapple with it. We need to get into their minds. We need to get into their hearts. Because otherwise, we will lose the faith at some point. We will get dis disappointed with God. We won't be able to sing these songs that we sang. Where is God when it hurts? Where is God when it hurts? This is a different message this morning, but it really is something I felt to share with you. So let me just jump into a little bit of an answer of where I think God is when it hurts. And I want to tell you the rest of my story because I just started the story. But praise God that when he's in our life, he changes things. He actually takes bad and somehow miraculously he brings good into a bad situation. We don't always understand it. It doesn't always feel like it, but that is what he does. So after that moment where my mom wanted to commit suicide, my family decided they, would, uh, they wanted to, to get involved. They took me in. I went to stay with my uncle and my aunt. And for a few months, my mom was on her own, and they got her some help. They got her onto medication. She was booked into a clinic, and, um, and she just had time to get on her feet financially again. And my uncle and my aunt looked after me. I was 17 years old. And as part of this time, they now and then went to a church. It was a Dutch Reformed church, and they took me with to this church, and I went on, any of you know what a catechism camp is? A catechese camp. <laughs> I went on the grade 10 and 11 catechism camp. And on this camp, the guy who led the youth, oh man, I've, I've really in my life met someone as passionate for God as this guy. He, man, he led us to the Lord. Oh, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but he in the end discipled me. He let us pray for the sick. He took us on crusades door to door. We would go knock on people's doors and share the gospel just I did not know how, life, how my life would change in that, in that moment. And I was on this camp, and in worship, we were worshiping. I mean, I'd been in worship previously in churches that we would visit now and then, but for the first time in my life, I felt God drawing near to me. I felt His presence like I couldn't understand, like I couldn't explain to you. And in that moment, I really believed that I got born again. I got born again, and my life changed. And it was magnificent. It was fantastic. It was a feeling of peace that I couldn't explain to you. None of the circumstances had changed, but something happened in my heart. There was a peace that came over my heart that, that threw out 
the feelings of insecurity, the feelings of loneliness, the feelings of disappointment, those things were set aside at the peace that I found in Jesus. So it's not true that with Jesus you can be in a storm, but the storm doesn't have to be in you. It's really how it felt like. The storm didn't disappear, but the storm wasn't in me anymore. Jesus brought peace into my life. And um, yeah, and salvation came from that. And out of that, also my mom recommitted her life to, the God, to God. We started doing Bible study together. And it was an incredible work. So just, just stop for a moment and think, I did not understand what was happening in that moment. And we'll look at where God was in all of this because we, we don't always understand that. Where was God? Did God cause that? I don't know where God was completely. What I do know is God took that situation, he used it for his good. He brought salvation in my life. He brought revival in my mom's life. He's used me powerfully, and I say that humbly, in other people's lives. He's used me as a vessel of honor in, to, to, to um, be an influence in other people's lives. God took a mess, and he turned it into, I don't want to be corny, but he turned it into a messenger. That's what he did. When God is involved, he takes the ugliest circumstances, even though we don't feel it and understand it, and he changes it for our good. That's the, f- the hope that we hold on to. The hope that even though we face severe trouble in this world, somehow, by God's grace, he does a beautiful thing. So I have no clue what you're facing. I think some people, I, I spoke to our congregation, I shared a similar message a while ago. And those people I know, I sit with them week in and week out, I, I hear their stories. Now, just know because humanity is humanity, some of those stories will be your stories as well. And I believe there's probably people who sit in you and, and you've been raped in your life. You've gone through rape or you've gone through molestation. How does that make sense? Where is God in it? Where is God? Some of you have gone through or will go through severe sickness in your life. I spoke to our young congregation. I said, some of you will die young. That's the reality. When you're young, you feel invincible. The reality is some of you will die young. Some of you will have parents that die suddenly or that die young. Some will have sickness that are not, that are not beautiful, pretty sicknesses. We'll face these things. Some of you have faced sickness or you've had loved ones that have faced sickness. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you, and my uncle, my mom's brother, passed away a while ago, and I sat with my grandmother, and I think she processed it the most difficult out of everyone. We're not designed to lose a child. It's designed to work the other way around, but some of us will lose children. And I love my two girls. I never want to lose them, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what this life holds. Some of us are going to face discrimination, maybe for being a Christian, maybe just because. We'll face persecution for standing up for God. Some of us will be unfairly treated. Some of us are going to face severe disappointment, maybe even in church. Church leaders are going to disappoint you. Someone is going to gossip about you. I don't know what you're going to face, but you are going to face difficulties. Some of you are facing depression at the moment or will face depression in the future. Some of you anxiety. You know, I, um, when we had our little girls, I, um, I, I think I've always had a measure of anxiety that I wasn't aware of. Um, it was always there to an extent, but I, you can never compare with someone else. I don't know what other people feel like. And when our girls got born, I got severely ang- anxious, severely. 
that at some stage I, I would struggle to breathe um, because we just, we've got twin girls. You don't sleep when you've got twin girls. Um, and, and I struggle. I enjoy sleeping. I feel like Jesus napped, and so I like to nap. <laughs> um, so uh, there's the rest of God, and I take it very seriously. <laughs> and so I really actually struggled, and my anxiety just went through the roof. I had to go see a doctor. I was like, I don't know what's going on with me. I, I get these, these attacks of anxiety that I just struggle to get it down. I try everything. I bring it before the Lord. I bring it before people. I confess. I repent. I do everything that I can, but I can't get rid of this anxiety. And some of you have that, and some of you have worse. And I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to you. I just, I have no clue. And I'm not going to be the one that's going to walk through that with you. But we need, to, we need to be able to answer this question, where is God when it hurts? Where is He? And that's a difficult question because we know that, you know, I, I think of it this way. If I slap Ginter now, that's not God, it's me, right? <laughs> it's me choosing to use my, my free will to inflict pain on another. And if someone drives into your car because they were drunk, that was not God that did that. That was a drunk person that did that. If your friend or your family member gets murdered, that was not God. It was someone that took their free will and inflicted pain upon another. Like, I, I get that. But still, if we serve a sovereign God, then somewhere in the mix, He is there. Somewhere, He is still there. And then we've got Satan in the mix, you know. And, and Satan is like... If, if God wants us to get through the trial and serve Him more, Satan wants us to fail by the trial and not serve God anymore. And so Satan is somewhere in this thing. And I'm not always sure how these things play together, but I'm going to try to the best of my ability as we see Scripture. In Luke 22, verse 31 to 32, we see an example of, of the working of God and the working of Satan, and somewhere the working of self is here as well. And it's Peter's life. Simon, uh, his other name was Peter, which is Rock. Um, but this is his, his real original name. So Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Just keep that on for a moment. Just look at the scenario here. Firstly, God is in heaven. And God, as a sovereign Lord, he is the one that controls if he wasn't the one who controls, then Satan would have no need to go to God to ask for permission. Am I right? But Satan feels the need to go to God. Now, we know that this world is the, it's, it's the kingdom of darkness, actually. Like Satan has reign and rule on this earth. There are things that he can do that has been given to him by God that he's able to do. But it's within a parameter. The early church fathers, they said that um, Satan is like a dog on a leash. He's on a leash. Like, he can inflict pain, but, but God has said, you can inflict pain, but, but there's a leash. There are boundaries. I'm not giving over to you completely. Martin Luther, this is quite audacious of him to say, but Martin Luther called Satan. He, he didn't just call him Satan. He said, it's God's Satan. He's God's Satan, meaning Satan has a measure of control, but ultimately God is still the sovereign one. Ultimately, God is still the one that says, oh, you've got control, but, but you go through me. And so that we see, and, and really this is difficult, these are difficult things to actually wrestle through, but I do think it's necessary. So God is sitting on the throne, Satan comes to him, and Satan asks permission. And then God grants a measure of permission. He doesn't say, 
you can sift them like wheat completely. He said, well, he doesn't say it to the point of death, and that's what we pick up in Job. He said, you can take everything, but you can't take his life. God says, to a measure, yes, because I have given you this rain as this fallen angel. But then God does a beautiful thing. Jesus says the following, but, and, and he says to Peter, but Peter, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What is the heart of God in our suffering? It is always that we will get through our suffering. It is never that it will be a trial that beats us and that, that makes us fail. It will always be that it's a trial to pull us closer to him to the point that we can, with the strength that we've received from him, strengthen our brothers and our sisters. It's always his heart, and we pick up of something of the heart of God here where he uses sin and he uses Satan to accomplish his purposes. He accomplishes his purposes. I don't know if God gave my mom bipolar. Actually, I don't think so because I know what my mom went through as a little girl. I know the pain that was inflicted on her and I know how difficult it's been for her to deal with that for her entire life. I know that that must have a psychological effect on you. I don't think it was God that gave my mom bipolar. But can you see how God took something that Satan did, that other people did to her, that she did to herself, God takes it, and somehow miraculously he works in her life, he works in my life, and he works in others' lives. He brings us through that so that we can strengthen others. He uses it to strengthen our faith. Can I get an amen, maybe? Just to <laughs> so God does that. In a sense, John Piper explains it like this. He says that a tapestry that gets woven, it has light parts and it has dark parts. And when you're in a dark part, it doesn't make sense to us. It's like, I don't understand this dark part. I don't understand how it fits into the picture. And then I've got light parts. Like all of us, we've got these incredible aspects to our lives as well. But he says, only if you are able to stand back and look at the weaver weaving this tapestry and that you are able to see the picture, do you understand how light and dark come together to make a beautiful picture? And you know, only God actually has the, has the ability to stand back and look at our lives and look at our lives together and know that a beautiful picture is being woven. We don't. We are just a piece of thread going through difficulty, going through joy. But ultimately, God is creating a beautiful picture out of all of that. And listen, we'll never understand it. My little girls, my mother-in-law, she loves to give them sweets. But we don't like to give them sweets. <laughs> so she, she um, I don't know why my wife's signing something there. I did milk tart. Yeah, not sweets, milk tart, <laughs> she says. She loves to give them milk tart. And, and she crams it into their mouths. And we're like, no, 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 stop. There's sugar in there. There's sugar in there. Now our little girls, now they see the milk tart and they want the milk tart. Because now they've tasted, they've experienced, it's like they taste and see that the Lord is good, right? They've tasted and see that the milk tart is good. <laughs> and they want it again. Now, if my little girl comes to me, and I know it's almost time to go to bed, and she wants the milk tart, and, and I take it from her and I say no, that's going to be difficult for her to process. She's going to have a little fit. Especially our one. She's got a stronger personality than the other. She is going to have a little fit about it. But I can't explain it to her. I can't explain the light and the darkness to her. I can't explain that why sometimes I say yes and sometimes I say no. Why? Because she is a baby and I am a, a fully grown man. My thinking is on a different level to hers. 
she does not have the ability to fully understand why I'm saying no in a specific instance. She does not have the ability to understand why I might be inflicting pain on her in a certain instance by taking it away because that's not nice for her. And, and even though I try and explain to the best of my ability, she will not understand because my ways are above her ways. My thoughts are above her thoughts. And don't you know that the Bible says that to us? God's thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are above our ways. He cannot fully explain what He's doing in us. But here's the thing. No sickness, no sorrow, no difficult that you're going, difficulty that you're going through or will go through is meaningless if you cling on to God. None of it is meaningless. All of it in the path of obedience, in the path of holding on to God and saying, God, you are my source. You are my Savior. I don't understand this, but I'm holding on to you in the pain. None of it is wasted because it's producing glory in us. Somehow he is doing a good work. Somehow he is bringing you through the pain as the one that is walking with you in the pain. And he's saying, I'm shaping you. I'm molding you through the difficulties of this life. Through sin, through Satan, through my power. I'm doing something in your life, even in the difficulties of it. And you might think, Lena, this is easy for you to say. You don't know what I'm going through. And you're 100% right. I have no clue what you're going through. But you know one who does know what you're going through? It's Jesus, our Savior. He knows exactly what you're going through. Hebrews 14, verse 15. You don't have to put it up there. I didn't give it to them. It says... That this is Jesus. You know, if we speak about suffering, you know who's suffered more than any of us in this life. It's Jesus Christ. Because he took sin that was not his own, he put it on his shoulder. He took suffering that was not his, on, not his own, he put that on his shoulders. He took loneliness that was not his own, he put it on his shoulders. He took all of those things. He, and when he took it, you must see Jesus on the cross. It wasn't, it wasn't just an intellectual exercise for it. He felt the pain that we feel collectively in the entire world. Imagine, think of your pain for a moment. Think of the difficulty that you've gone through in your life at the moment. Now multiply that by the amount of people that have been in this world and will be in this world and put that on the shoulders of Jesus. And that's what he did. That suffering... And he was obedient in the suffering. And he said, God, this is not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus hanging on the cross, he said, I am willing to suffer so that life may come from it. I'm willing to suffer by dying on a cross so that others can live. I'm willing to suffer so that when people come to me with their pain, I understand and I can help them to come to a place of life. When people die, I can bring life from death. That's what Jesus did on the cross. So Hebrews 4 verse 15, I'm going to start ending with this. It says, the writer of Hebrews says to us, we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He sympathizes with your weakness. He is there in the difficulty. He knows what it's doing, although you're not. He says, but Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He never gave into the difficulties of this world. He never let it compromise let, let him compromise. He never ran to sin to fill that hole, that void of suffering that we sometimes do. He never did that. It says he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And then it says, in view of that, in view of Jesus doing that, in view of you having someone that sympathizes with your weakness, the Bible says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace boldly 
so that we may receive grace and find help for our time of need. You can come to Jesus boldly in your time of need. You can find help, receive grace from him in your time of need. Can we stand maybe where you are? Just as I read us the last scripture, the worship team can maybe come to the front as well. I am, as I said, I have no clue what you've gone through in, in this life. Really, I have no clue. But one thing I know for certain is I know that God does. God does, and He's with you in the suffering. And I don't know if you're even going through something difficult right now. I don't know why. Ants actually asked me to preach about something else, and I just felt that this was the message that I needed to bring you this morning. I just, I, I'm, I'm not sure what you're going through at the moment. But I know that God loves you. And I know that He's there for you. And I know that the suffering is not wasted if we hold on to Jesus and we're obedient to him. I know that. I'm going to read you a last scripture. And I want you to take this to heart as if God is saying this to you. Because I do believe that he is saying it to you. It's in Hebrews 12 verse 5 to 13. Just maybe as I'm reading this, can I ask you to take it to heart to, to see this as God speaking to you in your difficulty? Just try and, try and take it in and, and not just have me read it, but you, even if you want to whisper it on your own, just to take it in. And have you not completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his sons? It says, My son or daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Not just you, don't you discipline as a spank because you did something wrong. Discipline is also when I'm teaching you to do something right for the future because I've got good plans for you. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son or daughter. Listen to this. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a while, while they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. How beautiful. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness, and peace for those who have been trained by it. And here's the crux. Therefore, strengthen your feeble knees and weak knees. Make level parts for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather yield. God's message to you this morning is strengthen your feeble knees. He says, I'm there with you. Come on, stand. I'm going to stand this thing through with you. Don't give up in the fight. Don't lose heart. Don't think that I'm not there with you. Don't think that I'm not good. Don't think that I've disappointed you. I'm there through your pain and suffering. I'm there and I'm working a peculiar glory in you. I'm bringing sanctification in your life. Can we close our eyes? I'm going to ask you in a moment if, if you need prayer, if you need people to stand with you. I don't know if Anne's or if I can... Um, but if you need prayer, someone to stand with you because things are difficult at the moment and you just need someone to pray with you and stand 
and help you strengthen those knees of yours. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment, but I want to just make a call. If there's anyone in here, while our eyes are closed, if there's anyone in here that, that wants to know Jesus as their Savior, now when He suffered on that cross, the ultimate suffering, He did it for you so that you could be in right relationship with Him. And I, I've, I know out of experience that we can go to church and not know Him. We can go to church for months and years and not know Him. Or we can fall away from Him. That happens. We're all human. We're prone to falling. So I want to ask you while the eyes are closed, if you f- feel like you've fallen away from God, or you want to make a first time just commitment to Him to say, God, I, I love the fact that you died on a cross for me. love the fact that I can know you. I don't know what you're facing, whether you've lost a baby, whether you've had a miscarriage. I, don't, I just don't know what you're facing. But God wants to come and He wants to say, I love you in your difficulty. Is there anyone that wants to make right with God? You want to give your life to Him, make right with Him. Can I ask you to raise your hand where you are? If there's anyone like that. Just the last opportunity, if there's someone like that that wants to make right. This is a bold step, I know. But if you can just raise your hand so that we can, that I can see where you are. Okay. Yeah, let's, um, if there's anyone in here that feels like you want prayer, I can see God is touching a few people. If God is touching you, we'd love to pray with you. Can I ask you just while we even put our eyes on God that you would come forward wherever you are. I know this is, again, it's a bold step, but let's strengthen our brothers and sisters. Anyone that's going through a tough time now that wants prayer, that just wants people to stand with them, can I ask you to come out? I know there must be some of you. You can see God is touching a couple over there. Just come stand here in front. Yeah. Maybe even if you're struggling to understand where God is in the difficulty of this life. Some of you have faced much more difficult things than I've had you've clung on to God but I know sometimes it gets difficult maybe we can just spread out a little bit more this way just give space here and then I'm going to ask some of the folk just to come and minister and some of the Josh Jenners from Stellenbosch come and join us Timbukazi Kanya why don't you pick some of the ladies here Let's just come and minister to them, please, and pray with them.